Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations with Kaylee. My name is Kaylee Kukwa, and I've spent the last decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of two, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my book knowledge and combining it with real life experiences to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations that always include practical tips so you can walk away feeling inspired and empowered to make simple yet impactful changes in your family's life. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to 2023 with Core Parenting Conversations. I'm so glad you're listening today. And in order to start a new year, I really wanted to revisit some questions I believe to be foundational to parenting. And today, and to start, I guess, this series, I wanted to tackle the question, what is conscious parenting? Now, there's a lot of different angles and directions I could take this. So for this podcast, I focused on some of the core beliefs I hold that direct my personal and professional philosophies. And the first core belief I hold for conscious parenting is we cannot hold our children to a higher standard than we hold for ourselves. How do we respond to stress? What do we do with our emotions? What core values do we live out on a daily basis? Not sound good to us, but actually live out. What are we modeling for our children? I also remember that where I am right now, today, is really a starting line for my children. This keeps me grounded in the truth that I can't rush my own self-development, my own healing or self-actualization. That's just unfair. It's an unfair expectation to put on myself. But I can live as intentionally as possible with the goal of living out my core beliefs to the best of my ability. My goal isn't to be a perfect parent, but to be an authentic model of the common humanity that unites us all. And if you want more on unlearning this idea of the perfect parent that I find happens a lot in like the conscious parenting or gentle parenting community, head to episode three, which is my conversation with Tina Payne Bryson. And it's all about just shattering this idea of the perfect parent that doesn't exist. So when I'm thinking about all of these things, right, these are like big concepts and can feel really overwhelming and like, where do I even start? So I wanted to start the year and start this conversation with the idea that self-development and authenticity, it really lends itself to a skill set that gets a lot of time, energy, and attention in the parenting world. And that is self-regulation. There's a strong emphasis put onto self-regulation in early childhood. There's so many calm down charts and breaths that are taught to kids these days, calm down corners and curriculums. Maybe you've even bought some of these, you've used some of these. I certainly have. 
there's a strong emphasis put onto the self-regulation skill set in early childhood. Maybe you've seen these, like the calm down corners or breathing charts or calm down charts and different teaching strategies. And while these SEL or social emotional learning curriculums are needed in schools, okay, I hope they one day will universally replace positive behavioral paradigms we see in schools right now. We can't just focus these strategies on the children. Children can only learn so much through structured lessons. They're not so much wired to learn that way as they are wired to learn through modeling, through actually experiencing these concepts and these tools and these strategies with the adults in their life. We are social learning creatures. We cannot try and compensate for dysregulated adults with calm down corners and breathing charts. Those are important tools, but we can't solely rely on those. The parent-child relationship is the launching pad for the child's social-emotional development. If the parent is in a chronic state of dysregulation, the child can't possibly reach a higher regulation state. In other words, our child can only be as regulated as we are. It doesn't mean they'll always be as regulated as we are. If you've spent any time with children, you know that they can become dysregulated very quickly because that part of their brain is, is still developing, right? They don't have that fully online. But what it does mean is they can't become more regulated than we are on average. It starts with us. Now, this isn't meant to guilt or shame you. It's certainly not meant to create more pressure to be the perfect parent because there's absolutely no such thing. And again, that's all over episode three of this podcast. But what it is meant to do is to give you permission to prioritize compassion for yourself. Invest time and energy in yourself. Prioritize your needs. Meeting your needs isn't selfish. It's a step in self-regulation, which is something that we strive to model for our children. And since that's the best way to teach it, we should prioritize it, right? Full circle. <laughs> so one of my favorite quotes ever for parenting is by Dr. Dan Siegel, and it's in the book he co-authored with Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. And it says, oh, and the name of the book's The Whole Brain Child. And it says, as children develop, their brains mirror their parents' brain. In other words, the parents' own growth and development or lack thereof impact the child's brain. As parents become more aware and emotionally healthy, their children reap the rewards and move towards health as well. So our children will mirror our growth and it's never too late. Now, with all that in mind, let's review the different steps of emotional regulation because it starts with us. If we want to teach it, we need to model it. And a side note about and the citations of the, um, the information I use to make this podcast, I use the conscious discipline framework found in Dr. Becky Bailey's book, Managing Emotional Mayhem. But these are pretty universal principles 
that have been packaged differently by so many therapists and practitioners. So the goal today is to get the general idea, bring awareness to the process so that you can find a framework, you know, like what words to focus on, what to Google, that kind of stuff. And you can find a framework that works in your life because different analogies, different letters, different words are going to resonate with different people. So in order to make it really practical for you, it's, it's got to resonate with you. That's my goal. So with that in mind, let's dive in to step number one. And step number one is cultivating awareness around our emotional triggers. What triggers strong emotional responses in us? And side note, oftentimes we think of like anger triggers. You can have all different emotional triggers. You can have comforting triggers, happiness triggers, sad triggers. Okay. So it doesn't just have to be triggers that evoke the emotion of anger, feelings of anger. There's all different types of triggers. And when we cultivate awareness around that, we can either seek out more of what we need or learn how to manage the tricky ones respond differently, which we're going to get into because that is regulation. (laughs) So oftentimes these strong emotional triggers are rooted, can be rooted in childhood experiences. And for this example, childhood wounds, such as feeling unheard when our children don't listen, or it can be the environment, physiological triggers, like feeling overwhelmed because everybody's talking at once, (laughs) overstimulated, tired, hungry, Hormones, different times of the month, the different fluctuations in our hormones can absolutely trigger different emotional responses. It's important for pregnant and postpartum moms to be aware of that as well. I like to combine this approach, um, these five steps of Dr. Becky Bailey in managing emotional mayhem with the RAIN approach. That's an acronym, R-A-I-N. And it's an acronym developed by Michelle McDonald, in which the R stands for recognize. We must recognize what are the messages our brain is subconsciously sending to us, such as when our child behaves in a certain way. Are there fear scripts creeping into our thoughts? And when they're subconscious, we don't even notice them. And so we can't even change that reaction to that fear, if we don't even know it's there, if we're not even aware of it. So by bringing awareness, we can change and interrupt those reactions. We can also recognize, become aware of the physical sensations in our body when we feel certain things, okay? or certain emotions, such as a tight chest, tight jaws, tight hands. This allows us to witness our emotions in our body instead of becoming, totally being flooded by them. So number two, we're going to, and each one builds on it, on itself. So number one was becoming aware. And a part of that awareness then turned into number two. Okay, we're aware of it. Now we've got to create a pause. And another one of my favorite quotes is by Viktor Frankl. And it says, between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. 
So that incoming data to you, that stimulus, there's a space there between our response. And in that space lies our power and our freedom. So I'll say it once again without interrupting it because it's so beautiful the way he words it. Between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in this space lies our power and our freedom. That space is what allows us, empowers us to respond instead of react. So whether I'm working with a child or a parent, I'll say, okay, the first thing we need to do if this incoming stimulus just causes this huge automatic reaction, right, is we need to start installing a pause button. And that pause, and it can be really tricky for kids because that pause is already, you know, not always there yet. And with adults, it can be tricky because our reactions are so automatic at this point. They've had years to just become entrenched in us. So that awareness is really key because if we can become aware of an emotion before we become totally flooded by it, that's when we can stretch out that space. And when we create more space between the stimulus and our response, we have more power there. And that really brings us to the A in RAIN, which stands for allow. So within that space, we allow the feeling. And this really combines the next step of identifying the feeling. So, you know, there's only four letters in RAIN and there's five steps in the conscious discipline regulation model. So they kind of overlap and are combined a little bit here. But what allow means is we identify the emotion and we embrace it. We invite it in. This can be really tricky because allowing the emotions mean we accept them And if we have previously been conditioned to suppress emotions or that some emotions are bad, this may activate defense mechanisms such as blame, or maybe we'll judge ourselves for feeling a certain way. And acceptance is open and judgment free. So remember, we're going to spend more time talking about this in the next step, about this whole acceptance concept. But I just really want you to remember that if this is tricky for you, remember this is a practice. Practice means it takes a lot of practice. We do it a lot and it's not meant to be perfect. It may feel really awkward and uncomfortable at first and celebrate the little wins because the little ones are the ones that stack up to be the big areas of growth. And I get DMs all the time with moms who feel really guilty about certain things. I know I do this to my child and I don't want to do it. I want to change this way. And I say, okay, congratulations. You're aware of what you're doing. You're aware of what you're doing and you're aware of what you want to do. So that awareness allows us to bring in that pause. Because now all of a sudden we're moving that subconscious to the conscious, we're aware of it, we're installing the pause, and now we can work on identifying the emotions. So this is step number three, identifying the emotions. Now there is so much material out there to help us learn how to identify emotions. I love Dr. Susan David's work around emotional agility. 
I also find Dr. Brene Brown's newest book, Atlas of the Heart, helpful in developing an emotional lexicon. It's basically like a dictionary of all different emotions, and you can read it as a novel. You can read it cover to cover, which I did. And now I use it as like an emotional dictionary. So you can really use it either way. I just, I think it's a really great tool if you want to expand that emotional vocabulary. If you've tried the Instagram parenting tips and tricks to gain connection and cooperation with your child and it's still not working, or maybe you just want to grow your parenting toolbox or grow your own personal skill set. If you feel confused about how to respond to some of your child's bigger behavior, or maybe you need the encouragement and accountability to make the changes you know you and your family need, CORE offers the weekly support and tools to make these powerful shifts within a supportive, uplifting community. We talk about real-life parenting, not the neat and clean two-dimensional examples given on social media. You can learn more about my core membership program by heading to www.kayleekukla.com backslash core. It's a month-to-month membership. You can cancel it at any time, no strings attached, and it's meant to be on-demand parenting support so you can access it when it's needed and when it's convenient for you. The link is in the show notes to learn more. And now back to this core conversation with Kaylee. Labeling our emotions can help us understand them. Those labels can help integrate our experience in terms we can understand and communicate to others. It also creates that space I previously mentioned between us and our emotions. So just like We're creating space between the stimulus and the response. We also want to create space between us and our emotions. So remember in step number one, we want to notice things instead of just becoming flooded by them. Because when we become flooded by our emotions, we become our emotions. And we're not our emotions. We are a separate being and emotions are happening within us. So when we create that space, we can notice them and we notice that they're messengers to us. They're not our identity. So if the emotion is something we're experiencing and it's sending our body messages and we acknowledge we aren't our emotions, we're really coming back to the beginning concept of this podcast is we cannot teach something we don't have. So if we wish for our children to be able to express their emotions, especially the more nuanced emotions before they become flooded, right? We need to have a bigger vocabulary than happy, sad, mad. (laughs) We've got to expand that a little bit so we can describe our experiences and not just demand that our children are constantly trying to explain theirs without having the more nuanced words to pull from. And a practice that I love, I learned from going to like, group sessions. So if you've ever done any recovery work in AA or Alnon or ACA, so adult children of alcoholics, if you've ever done any kind of like group therapy work, oftentimes they'll do an inventory, a check-in the very beginning of the session, and they'll ask you like, how are you feeling today? And if it's hard to get past the happy, sad, mad complex. And so Oftentimes I've been in sessions where they'll pass a sheet around of like a hundred different emotional words. And it's so 
incredible just to pick two words off that sheet where we can get more nuanced. We can say, you know, I'm feeling really peaceful today. I'm feeling really hopeful. I'm feeling confused. I'm feeling irritated, right? It just, it's so much richer and it really allows our emotional experience to be richer when we have a larger emotional vocabulary. And how great is that for our children too, to have that richer emotional ability? Vocabulary, it just allows us to convey our experience to other people and to ourselves a little better. Okay, so here we're going to get into this idea of acceptance of our emotions. So the fourth step is the acceptance. We allow ourselves to move through the emotions or the emotions to move through us. I have a few little sayings that help me remember what acceptance feels like because it's so much easier to get defensive When I feel vulnerable emotions come up in me, or even when I see my children experiencing really strong or vulnerable emotions. And so I'll share them with you. Those two sayings are number one, eagerly greet the emotions because they're friends. They're signals that help us understand our needs. So think of it as you greet your emotions, eagerly greet them the same way you'd eagerly greet an old friend you're excited to see. So that imagery, that analogy helps you remember that's what acceptance feels like. You bring them into your arms, you give them a hug. Oh, I'm so glad to see you, right? That's that warm, open greeting. The other one I use a lot of times for children, well, for parents who are regulating with their child's big feelings is roll out the red carpet, not just allow them, like not just say, okay, have it, but like give them that spotlight instead of shying away, give them that accommodating space. Like here it is. Go ahead. It's right there. You can follow the red carpet all the way through. You know, you are worthy of that. And so in my head, oftentimes when I'm reminding myself, all feelings are safe, except my children's emotions, (laughs) I say, roll out the red carpet in my head. And this step really moves us to the I in RAIN, which is investigate with kindness. When we accept these emotions, we create open energy, openness, and curiosity, which is also an open energy. We can get curious about what is this emotion telling us? Where is this coming from? And this curiosity is one of my core values and something I bring up like weekly (laughs) inside the core membership group because that curiosity helps us expand, right? I always think of like the chest open, like the jack, you know, I'm the king of the world on, on the front of the Titanic, but, you know, arms out by our sides and chest open to the sky around us and the ocean around us. Because it's that openness that helps us expand and grow and collaborate instead of having us closed off with judgment. Acceptance helps us expand our perspective because we are, we're open to others and we're curious, right? So we can be open to different possibilities and perspectives. 
Therefore, we have something to choose between, right? It's no longer this judgmental, narrow-minded tunnel vision on something. It's open and, oh, maybe this is a possibility or maybe that's what was going on, right? Much more curiosity is brought to the table. And we don't have to bury an emotion or get stuck in it. We really have something to choose. And that allows us, instead of repeating old patterns because we feel stuck or we have a narrow vision, we can unlearn that old programming and choose a different response because we're open to new perspectives and new understandings. Quite possibly might be my favorite one because I love staying curious. I love the idea of understanding different perspectives. And that really allows me to assume the best instead of assuming the worst, right? I feel like judgment so often really assumes the worst in people. Whereas when we get really curious and we really want to understand someone, we're able to see that perspective. And it doesn't mean we always agree, but we're open to it, which allows us to expand and have more choice, right? There's more of a feeling of empowerment because we feel like we have more to choose from. So the fifth one, the fifth step in self-regulation, don't worry, I'm going to go through all these and like boil them down into bullet points for you. So if your head is spinning right now, just hang with me for this fifth one and then we'll do a recap. (laughs) I promise. The last step is problem solving. We use the messages our emotions are sending us to take a solution-oriented action. As we become more attuned to our emotions, We'll learn about our needs and how we can take practical solutions to help answer them. For example, through this process, this whole self-regulation learning process, I realized that dinner prep time is an especially triggering time for me because I felt overwhelmed by demands, like demands of the kitchen, the house, the dog, the kids, the husband, like all of it. I felt a sense of urgency, like this rush to get dinner done because it really signals the start of bedtime. And I was already tired from the day. It's like after a full day of momming and (laughs) driving and working and all the things, right? My solution that I came up with was to take a 10 to 15 minute break, like build in that buffer time to myself before starting the routine to sit, have a cool drink of water, check in with myself and figure out how can I serve myself before I serve others. Practically speaking, this isn't a time I'm going to run out and get a quick massage. Like that's not, this is not time consuming. This is not this like idealistic (laughs) goal here, but I can sit and get off my feet for a few minutes. Just rest. I can grab a quick snack. So I'm not entering a stressful time with low blood sugar. Now in the heat of the moment, this may look differently, right? So let's say it's been a long day. The demands are constant. And I'm beginning to notice that frustration, that irritation kind of like bubble under the surface, right? I feel the clenched jaws, the irritability. To help answer these cues, I take a step from the I in RAIN, which is the investigate with kindness piece. And that's the practice of self-compassion. Self-compassion helps us develop the same awareness I discussed in the very beginning (laughs) of this podcast, if you remember that. And it combines it with acceptance of our common humanity. So we're really bringing it all together here. It empowers us with 
action steps to show ourselves kindness in small ways often. That's this whole other practice. I'm a big believer in like, instead of self-care, self-compassion all the way, I found it to be life-changing and that's like a whole separate topic. So we won't get into that today too much. There's a full workshop. There's full self-compassion scripts and explanations in the core membership that you can watch on demand if you're interested in learning more. Okay. So today was kind of like trying to drink from a fire hose. It came really fast and in high volume. So this process is a lot and it, it's a continuous web. You know, we go from step three to step five, back to step one and oh, there's something else. So I don't want you to think of it as a checklist. The minute I'm aware of a trigger and go through this process with it, I discover a new one or something shifts and I need to adapt, right? Flexibility is the name of the game so often. So this process is ongoing and it's beautiful and it's messy. That's why releasing this idea of the perfect parent is so important. All right, I'm going to boil it down into five key takeaway points for you. So get out a piece of paper and write them down or open up your apps, your notes app on your phone, as long as you're not driving and you can do it safely and just jot these five down. So number one is that awareness, cultivating that awareness of the trigger or recognize or notice, right? These all lend itself to neutral observations of our experience. That's number one. Number two, create a pause by taking a breath and allow, allow the moment. We don't have to react right away. So we're noticing and we're pausing. And then number three is we're identifying emotions. That's where that emotional vocabulary really comes into play is very helpful, right? And there's a, you can just Google list of emotions, right? And find long lists of them if you want a starting place. Number four, make a choice based on curious and kind investigation. That choice indicates our consciousness instead of subconscious or pre-programmed reactions. So this is really when we're working on expanding perspectives, being open and curious, and not just focusing on those pre-scripted judgments that we may have in our brain. Like, oh, he's just being a brat. He's just whining. He's just so spoiled. You know, any of those can be pre-programmed. And instead, we're really opening up to you know, oh, it has been a long few days or, oh, he just, he really doesn't understand what's going on right now. That must be overwhelming for him. And number five is problem solve either retrospectively. So like reflecting and looking back on something that happened and saying like, how can I do this differently or proactively and using that retrospective information to then plan to do something differently in the future. Okay, (laughs) we are deep diving into these concepts of self-regulation and all this stuff in core this month. So if you want to learn more about this, head to the show notes, first of all, for the resources I mentioned throughout this podcast. And also, you can learn more about joining my online community. It includes access to the various resources, the workshops and handouts I mentioned in this podcast. So head down in the show notes and check it out. If this information was helpful to you, please consider sharing it with a friend on social media or leaving a rating or review 
All of these things help out podcast creators like myself and let me know what you like so I can do more in that subject area. Thanks so much for being here and have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.